we're going to get started. First off, I want to say a big thank you to our kitchen folks. Uh, they cooked a funeral meal for 100 people and then our Wednesday night meal after that. So they've had a huge day. I want to tell them thanks a lot for all they did uh, putting that together. Let's start off with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for this night. We're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for your word, uh, the truth that leads us and guides us and directs us, Lord. We're thankful for uh, the opportunity we have to come and to study it tonight. I pray for our kids tonight that they are growing in your truth, uh, that a foundation, an important foundation is being built and stacked upon. I pray for our youth, uh, the same thing tonight, that they are growing in your word, that their foundation is being uh, built and strengthened and that it will stand. I know this, the foundation of truth is the only thing that will stand and so I pray for them in this process. I pray for all of our classes, our adult classes meeting tonight. I pray for this class tonight. I pray that you would be able to speak through it, uh, that we would grow in your truth, that we would grow in your word. We, we thank you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to pick up tonight with Lesson 39. Uh, we're in Malachi. The lesson's entitled Malachi, Not the Last Word. Malachi, Not the Last Word. We are in a section of prophets. We've been looking at the office of prophet, and then we've been looking at some specific prophets uh, that God used to speak to his people. Remember uh, the prophet. Their job was to speak God's word. They were called by God. They were commissioned by God. Uh, there really is no set pattern uh, for who it would be that would be called as a prophet. There were uh, women that served in this role. There were even some kids that served in this role. There were men that served in this role different education levels, different backgrounds. And so there's not this exact list of here's what a prophet looks like. They had many different backgrounds. That is the office of prophet. Something we have seen uh, in common with them is they have really three key aspects uh, to their mission, to their job. Uh, they have to be correct, and that means this. They have to say what God has said. They can't leave part of it out. They can't add to it. They can't distort it. Uh, they can't forget part of it. They have to be exactly correct uh, to report to say what God has said. Uh, that doesn't change. The, the spokesperson for God has to say what God has said in his word. Second thing we saw is they have to be courageous. Uh, they are most of the time going to say something that's going to be offensive to the culture, to the culture that's operating in sin. Uh, most of the time their, their message is not going to be appreciated. It even will be hated. And so these folks had to be courageous. So they had to have the correct message, and then they had to be courageous in the delivery of that message. And then the third thing we see is they had to be compassionate, which means this. Uh, why would you endure such heartache? Why would you endure such hardship to carry this message? Well, they had to know the best thing was for the folks to receive God's truth, God's word. So they have to care enough about God. They have to care about, enough about people and be compassionate enough uh, to be courageous and to be correct in carrying the message. Well, we've looked at all these different prophets, and we see that same pattern in all of them. They are correct, they are courageous, and they are compassionate. Tonight we come uh, to the book of Malachi. We're going to change next week and leave this particular focus. We come to the book of Malachi. Uh, the, the, key, the verses we will look at, the entire book of Malachi, it's not that long. If you'd like to read that sometime during the week, it's not that uh, hard to, to read. Uh, so our focus verses are from the book of Malachi. The key point is this. It is easy to keep faith in good times 
when everything is going your way. Now, I want you to think about that. To keep faith, uh, it is easy in good times. Everything's going smooth. Everything's working out. And it's easy to say, you know what, I'm trusting the Lord and I'm going to walk with him. I think there might be temptations during good times to forget uh, the, the Lord we're walking with. But it, generally, it's pretty easy to keep your faith during the good times. It's even possible during the hard times. Now, I think it may be the easiest time to walk with God in hard times because you're forced to walk with God. And so you got hard things going on. You've got hard stuff happening, and your other possibilities are stripped away. Your other answers are revealed as empty. And so I think, man, when you get a terrible diagnosis, when things are happening ter- terrible in, in your life, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's something else, maybe it's a family issue, uh, it generally forces us to put our eyes back on God and to walk with Him. And so I think in hard times, it may be the easiest. It seems the hardest days uh, to walk in faith are days of waiting. Uh, now, I want you to think about that for just a second. Um, it seems like maybe you're not hearing from God. Maybe you haven't seen the answer that you want. Maybe you haven't gotten what you expect. Maybe you know what God's promises are, but you haven't, you haven't seen those personally, and so you're in days of waiting. You know who God is. You know what he said, but it seems like we're just passing days, and you're in a period of waiting. I think those are the hardest times to continue to walk in faith. Well, The point of the lesson is in all of those times, we are to remember God and we are to remember his promises. All right, we're going to start moving through uh, the points of the book of Malachi. The first point on your worksheet, if you got one, says some love. Let me give you a little bit of background. Malachi ministered uh, in the time after the Israelites were allowed to return to their land. Remember, they're taken off in exile. Uh, The king allows them to go back to their homeland Uh, At this point when he writes, they've been back in their homeland uh, right around 100 years. During that time, the temple has been rebuilt. Most of their homes have been rebuilt. rebuilt, And the wall has either been just completed or is just about to be completed. So they've gone back. It's been about 100 years. The temple's rebuilt. Their homes are rebuilt. Most likely the wall has been rebuilt And yet, here they are, and when you get to the book of Malachi, the people feel like God has abandoned them. And so here they are, they're back, Uh, they've rebuilt the temple, their houses, the wall, and yet they feel like God has abandoned them. Now here's the reason why. They remember what the kingdom was. They remember the, the days of glory, they remember the big army, the chariots, they remember all the wealth, all the stuff. And so they're sitting there thinking, well, God hasn't answered his promises. God hasn't fulfilled his promises. And so they don't have the prominence they once had. They don't have the power, the position they once held. And so now they're back. A hundred years have gone by, and they wonder, well, God's just brought us back here, and and he's forgotten about us. He's abandoned us. Uh, Where's our power? Where's, Where's the answer that we're looking for? Now, it's, it's interesting that it's been 100 years. And I want you to think about some of the things maybe you've prayed about. Um, and a year goes by, and that's long enough. Three years goes by. What if it's 10 years? And you've been praying about something for 10 years, and you've been hoping for something for 10 years, and all of a sudden it's 20 years. 
And these are the periods of, of, of waiting I'm talking about. A hundred years. And we, we don't even have our own king. We're not able to mount our own army. We're not, we're not as powerful as we once were. A hundred years have gone by. No short time. Well, in response to that, the people's hearts have grown cold toward God. So they walk in disobedience. They just do what they want to do. They don't care what God's word says. Uh, they have a half-hearted commitment to God. And as a result of that, evilness and wickedness flourishes among them. Now I want you to start thinking about our world today. Half-hearted commitment, half-hearted worship, going through the motions, do what you want, sin if you want, and the, the fruit of that is evilness flourishes. Look at our day. Every, every week, every month, every year I go, never thought I'd see that happen. Never thought we'd be facing that. Never thought we'd hear about these things. And yet those things are becoming normal. Well, when you're half-hearted in your walk with God, the fruit is, is wickedness and evilness flourish among the people. All right, look at Malachi chapter 1. And I'm going to start off with the first two verses. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. The message of the word of God to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Now, I want to stop right there for just a second. The message of God is I have loved you. I've provided for you. I've protected you. And their answer is to say, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? I want you to think about what they're thinking here. Some love we were taking captive. Some love we exist under a foreign rule. They don't even have their own king right now. Some love you haven't made us a, a mighty nation as we hoped uh, to have been by this point. And so their, their answer is God says he, he loves them. And they say, well, what kind of love is that? Some love that must be. Uh, we don't see anything good. Here's the point to that. I want you to think about us. How often do we grow cold and indifferent toward God's loves, God's love and blessing? How often do we get apathetic about God's love and his blessing? How, how, how often do we become cold or indifferent to God's love and blessing in our life? Which means this, God is good, God has done great things for us, he's blessed us in countless ways, and we're kind of like, well, what's he done for us lately? And we become indifferent. I was thinking about that this week writing this up. What usually causes that? And that's something I want to think about. What, what causes us to just become cold or indifferent or maybe even numb to the goodness of God? What causes us uh, to do that? And I think it's this. It's a poor perspective. It's a, it's a perspective that, that says, you know what, I'm not satisfied, I don't have what I want, I'm not content. And I think it, it, it really goes back to a poor perspective. Um, we've got all these great things, God's done all these wonderful things, we have a Savior in Christ, and yet here I am and I'm discontent and I'm not happy and I don't get what I want and this hasn't turned out the way I hoped and we become cold or indifferent. I think what causes that is a poor perspective what is the remedy to that? What prevents that? What keeps that from happening? 
And I'll just tell you, I, I, I believe it's this. It is to be deliberate in remembering God's faithfulness. And I think how you prevent that from happening is to say, you know what? God has blessed me, and I'm talking about me. He's blessed me, and he's blessed me with a great church, and he's blessed me with an awesome wife, and he's blessed me with, an, with awesome kids, and he's put us in a good situation. And you know what? We've never starved to death, and you know what? He's provided for us, and we've got great friends around us, and I have a hope in Jesus Christ, and I have a, a Savior, and I know where my eternity's fixed, and I know whatever today holds. I know that tomorrow, I'm, when it's all done, I'm going to be with Christ. And we have to remember, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. That is the remedy. You, you get a bad perspective if you don't keep up the process of remembering God's faithfulness. We need to remind ourselves, God is faithful. God is good. God has blessed us. Um, many, many ways. The, the song, Count Your Many Blessings. I think there's something to saying, if I don't start thinking about the good things, I'll start to be overcome by a few silly bad things. We have to be consumed in remembering the good things. All right, so here's Malachi. He writes to a people who are saying, how has God loved us? He hasn't done anything for us. And yet he brought them back. Yet he's built the temple back, fixed their houses. Uh, the walls finished. Tremendous things. And, and, and yet they have lost perspective. All right, the next section. So close, but oh so far. Let me read Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord's of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and, will, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and uprightness, up, unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble. By the instruction, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. All right. In this section of verses, here's what happens. He reminds the priests of their role. He reminds the priests of their duty. Uh, he says Levi, and I remember Levi uh, is, the, is the line that produces the priests. Well, he goes all the way back to Levi, and he says, he remembered God. He revered God. He was in awe of his name. And so you know what? He was in awe of God. He worshiped God. He, he reminded them what Levi did. He led them in the truth. He kept bringing the truth to them. And he reminded them that that was supposed to be their role. The priests were supposed to have that role. 
They were to lead the people in worship. Now, their lips, just like Levi's, were to preserve knowledge. Now think about that. How do you preserve knowledge? You present the truth. You preach the truth. You remind of the truth. Well, they were to preserve knowledge, reminding the people of God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. At the end of that section, it says they also showed partiality in the preaching of God's commands. Now what this meant was um, they upheld it for some, but not for others. And so it wasn't even-handed. You know what? If you've got enough money or enough clout or enough reputation, you can slide. But if you're not of, of this uh, particular group, then we're going we're gonna to uphold the law uh, particularly for you. They were not even-handed. All of that to say this. The priests had failed. Uh, the fault rested with the priests, and the priests were responsible for the people's stumbling. I want you to think about that for a second. Notice it wasn't the pagan people, it wasn't the people far from God who led the people away from God. It was the people who actually worked at the temple, who held the word of God, who were supposed to have given their life to the service of God. So it wasn't some crazy pagan, it wasn't somebody else that led them away, it was the actual priest that who had the word of God, who served in the temple, that led God's people astray. Crazy thing. All right, out of that, I want you to think for a second. We're going to do something right here. Don't answer this one out loud. Here we see the nation has been led astray because the priests haven't been doing what God had called them to do. Think for a second how important are godly leaders to preach the truth, to remind of God's faithfulness, to remind of God's trustworthiness, to lead in, in times where things are hard, where maybe questions arise. How important are godly leaders? All right, here are some questions, and I, I want you just to holler out, and if you yell the wrong thing, I'll act like I don't hear you. You're looking for a godly leader. You're looking for a godly leader. What things do you think must be present in those leaders? What things need to be present in those leaders, in a godly leader? Anybody can answer. Compassion. Right, I'm going to write that down. Knowledge of God's Word. All right, knowledge of God's word, compassion. Anybody else? Integrity. Anybody else? Something you want present in a godly leader. Honesty. Anybody else? Love of God. Courage. 
Anybody else? Smart. We don't want dumb leaders, do we? That's right. I'm sorry. Bold. Anybody else? Let me read them to you. Compassion, knowledge of God's word, integrity, honesty, love of God, courage, smart, bold. Anybody else? Trustworthy. Punctual. I know. <laughs> we want them on time. Punctual. S speaks God's word. All right. Speaks God's word. Let me read those to you, then we're going to try something else. Punctual, compassion, knowledge of God's word, integrity, speaks God's word, honesty, trustworthy, love of God, courage, smart, bold. All right, so you're looking for a godly leader. I think about folks that move to a different place, a different town, and they're looking for a church, looking for a pastor. And my, my brother's recently done that, my sister's recently done that, and, and we talk about, well, what are you looking for? What would you look for? if you were looking for a godly leader. Well, here's our list. All right, so if we were to rank these, what's first, what's second, what's third, what would be last? Uh, I want to tell you from, from what we've looked at in our Bible study, what we're going to see tonight. Here's what I would tell you. I think number two would be this. I think number two would be the knowledge of God's word and probably tied in to speaks God's word. A godly leader has to say, this is what God has said. And he can't say what he wants to say or what they want to say. This is what God has said. We, we are blessed, we grow, we learn, we're shaped, we're convicted when we hear the truth of God's word. And so I would say number two, knowledge of God's word and speaks God's word. But I think from our lesson, and I think um, we see this played out, number one would have to be love of God. And I think you want a leader who is, committed to God, loves God, worships God, and I don't know how to say it, is bananas about our Savior Jesus Christ. And then that'll carry over into the other things. That'll feed the other things. That'll help the endurance of the other things. So we see here when he tells them the priests have messed up and the priests have led them astray, he says, remember Levi. Levi revered God. He knew God. He was glad to speak for God. And that's the pattern here. If you're looking for a, a leader, uh, Number one, I believe, is, is love of God. And number two, knowledge of God's word, speaking God's word. All right, so these folks are close to it. They hold it, but they're a long way from it. And the fault rests with the priest. All right, next section, broken vows, broken vows. All right, here's what the people were implying if they weren't just outrightly saying it. They were saying God hasn't kept his promises. 
He promised to bless us. He promised we're his people, and here we are. We don't even have our own king. So they're implying God wasn't keeping his promises to them. The reality is they had abandoned him. They had abandoned his word and the commitment to walk in obedience to his word. So they're saying God hasn't, God hasn't kept his promises to us, but the reality is they had turned and walked away from God in rebellion. One of the examples becomes really a picture or a metaphor of what was happening. One of the things that God tells them not to do, he tells them, do not intermarry with the pagan neighbors. So while they're gone, a bunch of pagan folks move in. Now they're back, and God says, don't marry the pagan neighbors. Don't mix in marriage. Now the reason is when they mixed in marriage, it wasn't long before they mixed in practice, and they brought in the pagan worship. So he says, don't marry the, the pagan neighbors or occupants of the land. But by this time, it had become common. It was, it was absolutely what they were doing. God told them not to do that. They are doing that. They had, they had not only become common in that, uh, the truth is how they operated in their marriages was to be different from the world around them. So they go back to the homeland and you know what, how you marry and who you marry and how you live as a married person is to be a witness to the folks that are around, that are watching. Instead, they'd become just like everybody else. They marry whoever. They don't listen to God in that manner. And then they decided they would just divorce flippantly over any reason. And so God has this marriage, and it's a, it's a covenant relationship and it's supposed to be a mirror of the covenant relationship he has, and yet during this time, they would say, you know what, tired of her, I'm going to divorce her. Want somebody else, I'll divorce her. And divorce had become very quick, and divorce had become very flippant, and divorce had become easily accepted. Uh, all of that was a picture of what's happening. They also had a covenant relationship, and they had forsaken it as well. Malachi chapter 2 Verses 16 and 17 says this. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them, or where is the God of justice? Here's what they were doing. They were living like they wanted to live, and they were saying, well, God's not too upset about it. God's not done anything about it. And so maybe God doesn't care about this sin anymore. Maybe God doesn't care about marriage anymore. And so they would just say, well, where's God? He hasn't judged us. He hasn't done anything. And so they were living how they wanted to live, living in sin and acting like, well, that's fine with God. All right, let me ask you some questions right here. How do you think people grow in a light-hearted view of sin? How do you think people grow in a light-hearted view of sin? Which means this, not taking sin seriously, laughing at sin, flirting with sin, participating in sin. I think the, the mark of our day is we become increasingly accepting of sin. And I think that's what Satan wants. He wants us to be comfortable 
with sin. Now, let me tell you a goofy example. Uh, I, I think about the TV shows that we watch now. And I, I was watching something about the kids' cartoons and what percent have two mommies or two daddies or some other weird thing. And then you watch TV shows. And our TV shows, uh, they're doing these things and they're doing these things. They're, they're, they're participating in these sinful things. And we watch that and we laugh that. People, we actually pick our movies by, well, there's only this many cuss words and well, there's only 17 of these. I think my eighth grader can listen to that. And we're actually becoming comfortable with sin. And I think it wasn't that long ago, it sounds like an old fuddy-duddy, but that TV shows had separate beds. Remember, I love Lucy, we got separate beds. So we, we go from separate beds to two mommies for our sixth grader in a cartoon, and we're becoming more accepting of sin, easier and accepting of sin. How do people grow in a lighthearted view of sin? We just make light of it. And we laugh at it. It becomes normal to us. Not, it's not a serious matter. Another question, do we think God is fine with sin? <clears throat> I think we say no, but I think we go, somehow, he's not worried about that. He hasn't done anything about it. Well, maybe he's not too bad with this sin. Uh, we start to act like God is fine with sin. Um, I'll, I'll just give you a tip off. In, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to preach on homosexuality. What, is, what does the Bible say about that? What is God say about that? And he says the exact same thing he does about that as he does people living together outside of marriage. But we, uh, we've got people living together outside of marriage all left and right doesn't get us in our hackles, but you let a homosexual couple do something and all of a sudden it's the, it's the end of the world. Uh, we start to act like God is, is fine with this sin, but he's upset about this sin. Sin is sin. Are we guilty of sometimes thinking, well, this sin is not as bad as that sin. And I think that happens all the time. Well, I just pick, pick whatever. This sin's not as bad as that sin. Um, how do we grow and hold to the view of sin that God holds? Now, here's the answer. Here's the big question. Um, if, if we need to see sin the way that God does, how do we grow in that? Uh, how do we grow in, in, in seeing sin the way that God does and holding that view? And I'll just tell you, there's a couple things. The first thing is you have to shut down the, the incoming nonsense barrage of sin. And I think it's hard to have a biblical view of sin when we're watching sin and we're singing about sin and we're laughing at sin, we're flirting with sin, and we're participating in sin. And then the, I think the most important thing is you have to know what God has said. And so we have to know God has said this is a sin. And God has said this is a sin. And God has said this is a sin. And by knowing those things, now that's not a hard, he's not trying to crush us. He's trying to say this isn't the best way to live. It's not, it's not going to be a blessing to you. It's not going to be a blessing to your future. And so by pointing out sin, God's able to convict us of sin. He's able to draw us into repentance for sin and to back to walking with Christ. And so how do we grow in and, and, and hold the view of sin that God does? Number one, we've got to shut off some of the ways that the uh, influence of sin is coming in. Second thing is we have to know what God has said is sin. We have to spend time in God's word. All right, I think this next part is the most interesting part of the, the whole thing. Fake worship, fake worship. Um, 
at many times in Israel's past, they had participated in false worship. Now, I want you to notice I've got two different words there. They had participated in false worship. Instead of worshiping the one true God, instead of worshiping the truth of God, they would worship false gods or idols, Baal worship, uh, making idols, um, the, the pagan idols of the neighbors. They would be drawn into and they would participate in false worship. Uh, they would accept and they would merge with the false pagan worship around them. Now that had always happened. Now that had happened in the past and it was happening in Malachi's day too but now something different takes place, something additional takes place, and that is not just false worship. Now there is fake worship. Now let me explain that. They would gather when they were supposed to. They would celebrate the religious festivals like they were supposed to. They would do all the ceremonial things like they were supposed to. They would bring their tithes and offerings like they were supposed to. Yet, while all those things were as they should be, they were doing it with arrogant hearts, prideful hearts, disobedient hearts, and they were faking their worship. And so false worship, they're worshiping a false god. Fake worship, they're acting like they're worshiping the one true God, but it's a fake worship. Now, one of the ways this shows up um, is in the givings of tithes and offerings. Now, remember, they were supposed to bring their first fruits. They were supposed to bring the best that they had. Well, they would say, well, that hurts our profit. Well, that hurts our bottom line. And so they would bring the worst things. They would bring the leftovers. They would bring the injured animals instead of the best animals. And so they were actually um, bringing in less than God had required, uh, knowing what they were doing when they did it. Now, here's what they believed. God hasn't answered our promise in 100 years. God is not judging our sin. God must not care. We'll bring him whatever tithes and offerings we want to bring him, and he'll be fine with it. They would even complain, and when you read the verses, they would even complain when their prayers aren't answered. God doesn't answer our prayers. God hasn't answered our prayers. They cheat him on the offering. They don't bring the best in. They're half-hearted in their worship. God doesn't answer our prayers. God hadn't answered our prayers. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. They were cheating God. They were robbing God. They thought they got away with it. Malachi shows up and says, you're robbing God. How are we robbing God? He says he sees what they're doing with their tithes and offerings. All right, now I want you to think about this tonight. Think about us. Do we have a bigger risk today of false worship or of fake worship? I thought that was a pretty interesting question. I don't know. I don't know. Now, there's a lot of false worship that goes on, 
But I don't know any of us that's gotten pulled into Baal worship. Or I don't know many of us that have left for Hinduism or something else. There's stuff creeping in all the time. There's, there's things to get pulled off track with. But I think as a whole, our greatest temptation is not false worship. I think it's fake worship, which means this. Well, we go to church because we go to church. Well, I, I put something in the offering plate just because it was coming by, and I feel a little bit better about that. Um, and we end up just going through the motions. Do you think we have a bigger risk today of false worship or fake worship? Do you really think God is fooled when we go through the motions? And so you know what? God knows your heart. He tells us that all the way through the Bible. He knows your heart. He knows your motivation. He knows your love. He knows your, your passion for him. And so here you are, and you're faking it. You're halfway doing it. You're half-stepping do you think God doesn't see that? Here's another one, and, and don't answer out loud and don't point any neighbors. <laughs> How much of our religious practice, coming to church, going to church, putting something in the offer plate, praying in public, whatever, how much of our religious practice is keeping up appearances? How much of our religious practice is keeping up appearances? Here's a, a good question. Do we expect God to respond to our half-hearted worship the same as if it were full devotion? And I think about that. Now, now we, our God's gracious, and, and, and we're not a works-based religion. But you know what? If you forget about God, and you don't honor God, and you don't seek God, and, and 28 out of 30 days a month you don't consider God, and then all of a sudden you come up and say, God, I need, I need to talk to you about this. I need some help with this. Do you think that's any different for the person that's walking with God, seeking God, living in obedience to God, committed to his word, it, loving God? I, I think it's the exact same thing. God says, keep your half-hearted prayers. Um, I think we have to be serious about our hearts in worship. All right, next section. A new sunrise. I think that part was my, my favorite part as far as being interesting, fake worship or false worship. This one, I think, is a pattern that we keep seeing over and over again. God's pattern holds. He never convicts of sin or of a judgment coming for sin that he doesn't uphold a gracious remedy. Now, start at the start of the Bible. Go all the way to the end of the Bible. God never talks about a judgment of sin a warning of sin that he doesn't give a gracious remedy for sin. Well, here he is, and Malachi shows up, and Malachi says, you're cheating God, your priests are all sorry, you're, you've turned into rebellion and sin and false worship and fake worship, but he never does that without presenting a hope and a remedy for sin. I, th I think of the New Testament verse in John that says Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You know what? There's going to be a judgment of sin, but Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. Jesus came that the world would be saved through him. It's the same way here. Let me read Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves 
from the stall. That verse is the promise of a Messiah. That verse is the promise of, of Jesus coming one day. The removal of sin, the restoration, and a coming like a calf out of a stall kicks up its legs, uh, a day of celebration, a day of joy, a day of peace. I, I hope as we go through the prophets that we're seeing God always is honest in saying this is a sin. God's always gracious in foretelling of his judgment of sin, but he's also gracious in that he always gives a remedy for sin. Here it is again. Christ is coming, a day of joy. All right, last section, stay tuned, stay tuned. Malachi is the last Old Testament prophet. After him, he's the last one, after him, there's going to be 400 years before God again speaks to a spokesperson. So here he is, the last prophet. All these prophets, he's the last one. After him, there's going to be 400 years. Now I want you to think how long 400 years is. That is a long time. It's going to be 400 years before God again speaks through a spokesperson. The last recorded words of Malachi tell of a forerunner to the Messiah. Let me read this to you. All right, last prophet, last words of the last prophet, and what does he tell us about? Listen to this. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Last words of the last prophet in the, in the last book of the Old Testament. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. All right, he says before the Messiah comes, he's going to send a forerunner to prepare people's hearts for the coming of the Messiah, of Christ. I'm going to read you two more sets of verses. All right, those were the last words of the last prophet, the last words. 400 years later, Mark 1, starting in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send you my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make, way the, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him. And all the people of Judea, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit down to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And he will turn back 
He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children. Listen, that's a direct quote. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Let me show you what's happened here. The last words of the last prophet said there's going to be somebody comes that points the way to Jesus Christ. The Gospels of Jesus Christ open up with the telling of John the Baptist who has come to prepare people to receive Jesus Christ. The, the name of the lesson was not the last word. That's the last word of the Old Testament, but it's not the last word. It's pointing to the word Jesus Christ. 400 years later, the story picks up and continues on. John the Baptist comes to point the way to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Glad you're here. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Glad you're here tonight. Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your truth. I pray uh, that we have been shaped by it. I pray that we've been encouraged by it. I pray that we've been built by it. And I pray, if, if nothing else tonight, that we who are listening in this room and maybe in a different manner on the internet tonight, I pray that we consider our hearts in worship. Uh, are we serving out of love for you? Are we worshiping out of love for you? Or have we fallen into the trap of going through the motions? Lord, you are our king. You are our hope. You are our anchor. You are our savior. You are our peace. You're our hope. And so, Lord, we just come. And I, I pray that that resonates inside of us, that that resounds inside of us, and that that flows out of us, and that we come and we come in true worship. Again, we're thankful for the time we had tonight. We're thankful for the food. We're thankful for the fellowship. We're thankful for our kids and our youth that are learning and growing. And then we're thankful for your word tonight. I pray, that Lord, that we'd be wise and walk it out in obedience. We love you. We praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.